thank you for tuning in to Newly Erupted Pediatric Dental Conversations, brought to you by the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, a podcast for pediatric dental residents, pediatric dentists new to the field, and dentists who are constantly seeking new information. This Newly Erupted podcast is brought to you by Elevate Oral Care, creator of innovative and proven prevention-focused oral care products. From Advantage Arrest Silver Diamine Fluoride, to Floramax Sodium Fluoride Varnish. Learn more by visiting elevatooralcare.com and schedule your free staff meeting today. We are here today with Dr. James Boynton. Dr. Boynton is Clinical Professor, Pediatric Dentistry Division Head, and Director of the Pediatric Dentistry Residency Program at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry. Dr. Boynton received his dental degree and specialty training at the University of Michigan and has served on the faculty there since 2005. Dr. Boynton is a board-certified pediatric dentist with an active practice in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He has co-authored more than 40 publications and given multiple presentations to local, national, and international audiences. He has served as an item writer and a consultant for the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry and as a consultant and site visitor for the Commission on Dental Accreditation. He has served on the APD Council of Predoctoral on Predoctoral Education and Journal-Based Continuing Education Committee, and has served as a consultant to state agencies and private law. Thanks for being with us on Newly Erupted, Dr. Boynton. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. So James, you're the one to speak to because you are currently the academic trustee on the Board of Trustees of the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. And it's been a while since we've talked to our audience on the podcast about what's going on in academics. So thanks for taking the time with us today because we're going to cover a lot about you know what's happening in academic world. And I'll just say in advance, you and I spoke before and really we want to pitch academics as something <laughs> for everyone to think about uh, in their career, whether it's full-time, when we always need people, or part-time. So we'll come to that. So to start out, um, you and I have met a lot over the course of the pandemic in your academic role and in my various roles. We've intersected communications. Uh, the, the pandemic has changed a lot for academics, and I think, think some things for good in perpetuity. So maybe we can just start out by talking about you know, what kind of shock hit the academic world when it first happened about, uh, what, 18 months ago, March of, March of 2000 and 2000 and what was it? 2020. Yeah. Last year. Right. Yeah. The, I, I think the shock is still <laughs> with this. Is it only been that long? It seems like it's been about 20 years at this point. Uh, yeah. Like March that, 16th of last year. So I figure, yeah, we're right. about we're a little over 18 months into it now. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the welt on my nose is still not uh, healed. <laughs> it's only oh, yeah. gotten worse from the N95 mask. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the the pandemic has been uh, an incredible uh, disruption. Uh, it's been it, it, whatever it the your experience has been where you are. It's the same in academics. Uh, it's been frightening. It's been challenging. It's been frustrating. Uh, but it's also been a time to re-examine what is uh, what had been the normal and uh, trying to reorient and uh, reprioritize goals uh, to to maximize outcomes in the the benefit of here in academics, our learners and our patients. So uh, so it, it's been it's been a challenge for sure. Uh, 
when when it first started, I think of our academic colleagues in uh, in pediatric dentistry in New York. Uh, it was an all hands on deck uh, environment where pediatric dental residents were on on the ICU floor and rotating patients and ha- helping them uh, monitor them uh, when they were so short staffed and. Uh, and here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you know, we, we never got to that point. Our residents were never drafted into service on the on the floor. But uh, but it was just as frightening. No one had any idea what they were getting into. The the rest of the dental school could shut down. We couldn't shut down. We're, we had to see our emergency patients and, and children still had emergencies. And we still went in there. My residents went in there with with great bravery and worked their fannies off. And I think that's been the experience throughout. Yeah, and I think that example you gave of New York, of the residents in pediatric dentistry and other programs helping out doing medical things during COVID is is a great example of where COVID acted as a catalyst, not a precipitator of things that were already starting to happen in our profession that made them necessary and more prominent. And, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the role of pediatric dentistry and primary care and, and working with medical management of patients. And I think uh, we're going to see that accelerated. Another, another example I, I want you to touch on is the educational system. You mentioned before about how we had to scramble to kind of make ends meet. So maybe talk about, I know you're on the review committee with the Commission on Dental Accreditation for Pediatric Dentistry. And of course, you know, this happened in March, the pandemic, and we had just a few months to get people graduated. Maybe they didn't even meet all their requirements. So how did, how did that all turn out? <laughs> well, I think it turned out uh, as best as it could. Um, I, I think everyone was uh, w- was scrambling for uh, answers, and there were a lot of unknowns on what uh, what could happen and what uh, the requirements were, and and what they had a permission to do from the Commission on Dental Accreditation, and so on. Uh, and throughout the whole pandemic, uh, the I, I think residents around the whole uh, country worked their tails off and program directors had to work just as hard and faculty had to work just as hard. But the different organizations that support dental education were just as scrambling and working just as hard to try and uh, to maximize the uh, the outcomes for everyone uh, in, in their own benefit. So uh, for gosh, 18 months ago, last March, uh, there were a number of uh, things that happened organically within the specialty uh, that really uh, have a great ongoing benefit to to the education of residents. Um, So the the first thing was uh, the uh, CODA approved some language to allow for distance education on a temporary basis. temporary basis. Uh, there were uh, joint, uh, the, the APD set up a number of uh, seminars uh, in a seminar series, which is ongoing, that invited uh, experts like yourself. And uh, uh, oh gosh, it, it, it was a wonderful opportunity to, to bring residents from around the country in on one big Zoom seminar and learn about oral path from an expert. Uh, and not just read a few papers and, and sit around a, a, a room and talk about it. Yeah, and I think and that's, that's terrific because, that, I mean, that's yeah. something we've always wanted to have. And I think we were say, well, it's too difficult. People don't want to share. And I think what COVID did, again, was catalyze 
a necessary thing. It was it became a necessity, and therefore we did it. And that's going to live in perpetuity as well, I believe, in, in a good way. There, there are so many good lessons in spite of the suffering and, and difficulties of COVID. Uh, right. Some good things are going to remain in perpetuity. You touched on a few of them. I, I want to shift gears now into your role as the trustee uh, representing academics at the APD board table. And uh, what are some of the things that are going on? You and I talked about it, you know, related to academics, like uh, with the board reading list. Uh, and we'll come to the academic day program in a minute. Yeah. The, the, the coolest thing about being the academic trustee is that the AAPD has put a value on education, uh, and not just for all its members uh, in terms of continuing education and programming for, uh, uh, for seminars, and um, CE and stuff but has prioritized the role of the residency programs and said, this is important. And the fact that the, the organization has said, this is so important, we're gonna put an academician uh, here at our table to make sure that the needs of academic uh, pediatric dentistry are, are being met, is it's a privilege to be there. Uh, and it just speaks to our organization and how much they prioritize and value what we do in academic pediatric dentistry. So it, it's, been, it's been incredible to be there. Uh, to, to see um, how decisions get made and uh, it, it's uh, in every step of the way, anytime I raise my hand and say, well, what about this in academics? Um, it's, it, it's not a, oh, it, it's not a, it's like, how can we help you? Like the academy is trying everything it can with uh, financial support and, and uh, administrative support. They're, they're trying to strengthen our specialty from, uh, from the ground up uh, through the residency programs. And, uh, and it, it's really neat to see from, from this side. I, I've kind of looked on the outside looking in over the last 20 years as an, uh, as an academic. And, uh, and, and they really put their money and their time where, uh, where we are in academic pediatric dentistry. And it's, it's a privilege to be a part of that organization. And, and you practice, you maintain a private practice as well in Ann Arbor. And I think, mm -hmm. therefore, you can see the connection, the important connection between academics and private practice. And given that most of our members, our audience here, are private practitioners, I think we really feel the need, you and I, and as we wanted to de declare today, the need to stay connected, to stay connected right. with not only your alma mater, but your local academic community and get involved so that we can maintain the quality that we have sustained all these years in our specialty. Um, one of the things you mentioned to me was this reading list was updated for the board. Maybe tell us just briefly about that. Yeah. The, another neat thing about uh, being in this position is that you, you get to work with so many talented and dedicated peers. And uh, there are uh, groups of people in the different councils, the pre-doctoral council and the uh, post-doctoral education council uh, who, who dedicated a massive amount of time to revise and update reading lists that programs use, both pre-doctoral and residency programs use, uh, to, to kind of form a, a basis, standardized baseline for, um, for the types of uh, papers that should be reviewed and discussed in programs. And, and that uh, process, it occurs every two years, and it just uh, was updated um, I want to say three, four months ago, it was distributed to all the programs. Uh, that's a great value um, to, to me as a program director to have that list. I just, I just got a take home message for myself from you. I need to look at that list 
see if I'm up to date. I think it's good for all of us in private practice to continually look at the updated list and see where we are. Mm -hmm. We will now pause for a word from our sponsor. We are proud to partner with Elevate Oral Care. Elevate Oral Care is a prevention-minded company focused on advancing dentistry by developing unique oral health solutions using the latest chemistries and technologies in the dental and medical fields. They offer a wide range of innovative products for your practice, including the easy-to-apply Advantage Arrest Silver Diamine Fluoride Gel, the uniquely flavored Floramax Varnish, and many other innovative products. And for a limited time, use promo code ERUPTED at ElevateOralCare.com for 10% off your first order. We are back with Dr. James Boynton of the University of Michigan. He's head of the residency program there and does many other things with us, including being our academic trustee. Dr. Boynton, we were talking about some of the great things the Academy does in reference to our academic uh, folks, our colleagues in academics. Uh, We have Academic Day coming up again in person this year in San Diego on the Wednesday, just prior to the meeting. We want to encourage everybody to attend that who has an affinity for that. I know you haven't finalized the program, but tell us a little bit about what you think might be the content of the Academic Day this year in May, next year in May. Yes. uh, So another committee of very talented colleagues are working on programming that right now. Uh, There's, it's a little bit of a, interesting phenomenon programming a, the academic day because there are things that uh, academicians need to know to be able to teach residents uh, the, the, the current um, understanding of the science of what we do every day. Uh, and a lot of that is also very important to everyone else. So, uh, so the purpose of the joint academic day is kind of a dual purpose. One is to, uh, to invite Speakers in uh, in allied fields such as medicine or uh, in psychology, for example, to to try and um, help us become better teachers, uh, but also for us to be able to get together and share our experiences. And uh, and this year, the committees are working on um, some potential topics like the social determinants of health, structural racism, and adverse childhood childhood experiences, uh, COVID vaccinations for children. Uh, vaping and cannabis use in adolescents, uh, pediatric obesity, um, and then specifically for education, uh, problem-based learning uh, is a potential topic, uh, teledentistry and how we use that in residency programs, uh, the new integrated board exam uh, that dental students will be taking in place of the old NBDE parts one and two, um, Past uh, or I'm sorry, post challenge, post pandemic challenges to academics, uh, and uh, a a a new t- a new phrase that I had never heard of called entrustable professional activities, which is used in medicine quite a bit to uh, to describe those things that residents can do with different levels of um, of supervision and how we identify what. Uh, what activities can be done by residents with uh, indirect versus direct supervision. That's pretty cool. That last one, I think Um, you went through a whole list of great topics, which uh, have a lot to do with sort of the medical management, primary care model of uh, what we do. Uh, But on that last one, the entrusting uh, the, the, the treatments that we do without or with supervision, I was, I noted a long time ago that GME for medicine allows independent surgical procedures after only a few 
competency performances, including things like uh, doing a craniotomy. You only have to do five under supervision before you can go to six. Yet we've often said, well, they've done 30 pulpotomies and they're pretty good, but maybe we have to supervise the 37th one. When, right. <laughs> so I, we need to learn from medicine how they actually look at that, that, that stuff for supervision. It'll help us a lot. So that relates to the topic of faculty and you know where we are with faculty. Uh, you run a residency program in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, you and I talked and you said it's challenging to retain faculty in the long run. Um, might be easier in some locations, but where are we with faculty and openings and growth of programs and that kind of thing? Uh, well, th there has been tremendous growth in pediatric dentistry residency programs. When when I applied 20 years ago, I think there were 220 positions, and now I think there's 480 or close to 500 positions nationally. So just in 20 years, there's been a more than doubling of the number of pediatric dental residency positions, which are open nationwide. And uh, that has an impact on the number of pediatric dentists who are leaving residency to enter into practice. Um, and it also has an effect on uh, the education that is delivered at those programs. I think there's 82 programs around the nation right now. And uh, I would bet that 82 out of 82 would be very happy to get a phone call from anyone listening to this podcast who is has uh, the generosity of time and of spirit uh, to uh, to call up the program and say, hey, I got a day a month. Can I come in and, uh, and, and, and help your residency program at all? Let, let's make that a call to action. I think everybody listening, pick up the phone and call your local residency program. Right. Or if, yeah, or if there's I, no residency, maybe the pre-doctoral pediatric dentistry program in the dental school. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I think we all can help. And, and I think in my experience in education, and James, I think you would agree that private practitioners really have the most to offer to us because... They can bring their real world experience to the future pediatric dentists, which is extremely valuable. Absolutely. Oh, God, I, I, we couldn't do what we do here at the University of Michigan if we didn't have a group of uh, 12 adjunct faculty. These are community practitioners. Uh, we, we have folks uh, in Metro Detroit. We have folks who come in from Lansing, Michigan. We got people who come in from Chicago and uh, Scott Smith, uh, who is our current secretary, flies in from Denver a few times a year just, just to teach our residents. And he doesn't do it because it's financially in his best interest. He does it because it's enriching for him uh, mm -hmm. that he gets more out of it than our, uh, the, and, and that experience of, of sharing your expertise. You know, it, I, I've always believed you'll never find a more generous group of people than a group of pediatric dentists. There, there's, there's no more generous group that, that's out there. And uh, in pediatric dentists who volunteer their time going to preschools, going uh, to community organizations, faith organizations, um, there, there are also opportunities to give back to the uh, specialty of pediatric dentistry through donating your time to residency programs, uh, to predoctoral programs, to dental hygiene education programs. Uh, and it, it, it's a day a month or a day a, a week if you have it. Uh, it's... And, and the, the value that you get as a volunteer in that instance, it makes you a better clinician because you, whenever you teach something, it makes you better. Uh, and it, it's so gratifying to be able to share what you've learned over your 30 years of clinical experience and, uh, and help inspire a learner 
to uh, to improve how they practice for their entire career. It's a multiplication effect on, on how you can help children, which is our goal in our specialties. Like we get to help kids full time. <laughs> like that's yeah, our job no, and, is to help. Kids. Yeah, I mean, everything we do is about education. We deal with kids in the formative years. We educate the parents. We're the only specialty that's about a population, not about a condition. And, you know, we, we put it all together with the academy and all the things we do for our academic colleagues. And, you know, re- regarding the growth in residency positions, you mentioned it's near 100. It's hard to believe, but it's I remember when we were well under 300 uh, mm-hmm. just a few years back. Uh, is it slowing down? Or are we continuing to expand the number? And how's that affecting the supply of pediatric dentists? We, we did yes, talk I, about this with Paul Casamassimo. We talked about the workforce report about a year ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, that workforce report uh, I, I think showed pretty clearly that um, that we might not have to continue to increase the number of residency positions around the country. Um, I do think that there has been some growth. Um, I I, I want to say from due to uh, some federal funding, uh, we went from you know two hundred and fifty to four hundred from two thousand five to 2013, 2014. There was a big period of growth, uh, in that, um, in that time frame, And then I want to say in the last five, six years, there's, there's been a, a, a number, maybe three or four <laughs> residency programs, uh, will, will add a slot, but the, so the pace of growth of residency slots has decreased quite a bit in the, in recent years. And, uh, the, the number is really leveled off. But there continues to be new programs. But the number of applicants, the ratio of applicants for positions is still pretty high. I think, is correct. it correct that we are we're the most desired specialty still in terms of ratio of yes, applicants um, to positions? Yes. Uh, we, uh, the, it's always interesting to, to, to find that uh, figure in the annual report uh, that's released to figure to, to see the number of people who apply to ortho and oral surgery and the number of positions and unmatched spots and so on. And uh, yes, this is still an extremely uh, desired uh, specialty, and, and and we're very fortunate uh, for that because we, we we know that all people who are interested in pediatric dentistry, even who don't match, will end up helping children in some way. So uh, right. I think it speaks to our specialty and the quality of the education in, in predoctoral programs around the country to 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 stimulate those folks who are interested in helping children to um, to, to want them to to get better at it through, through formal training. So what's going on in Michigan in your program? We have you here today. Tell us some of the new things about your residency and where you see the future taking you. Uh, well, it's, it, it's always, uh, it's always a lot of fun and it's always challenging. Uh, we, we've got a great group just like we always have here. Uh, our program is a 30 month program at the university of Michigan. So we just had our graduation. Uh, our, our residents end in December uh, because of our odd um, calendar, we'll call it. Uh, and we've got uh, match day coming up. Uh, so it's an exciting time around this time of year for residency programs. Interviews just finished up. Um, and, uh, and my goodness, we we're just so blessed to have uh, so many interested, uh, very talented, bright folks who are interested in our specialty and um, and in our program here, we're one of the things that that I try and uh, remind myself is that we are training people to practice in the year 2050. 
We are not training people to practice in 1980. And we have to look forward to what pediatric dentistry is going to be because the way that you're trained will be the way that you you feel natural practicing forever. So we look to, to we look at emerging trends, we look at emerging technologies and how to integrate that into our training program with the goal of training a pediatric dentist to deliver optimal care for children in the future and not just the way that I was trained or the way that my mentor was trained by uh, by Kenneth Eastlick in 1930. You know, we're really trying to look towards what what the future should be and then get the evidence to support that or not. And uh, and then design our clinical and didactic curriculum to that end. So critical thinkers, um, people who are thoughtful about process, about uh, trends. When do I change? When do I not change? That kind of thing. Th- those skills live with one forever. I can see that. James, you mentioned before, both your parents are teachers. You grew up uh, with teachers, parents. Mm-hmm. I can see it in you. And that's really what you're instilling is the self-learner, because teaching ourselves is the ultimate teacher. Is Absolutely. To have the spirit of wanting to learn and to stay up to date. And I think that's part of who we are as pediatric dentists. And, then, and I can see the enjoyment you get by doing that as a teacher. And, and I also want to reiterate in our last moment here that we encourage others to think about that day a month, that day a week, mm-hmm. uh, if you can find it and at various stages in your career. And I think for those younger pediatric dentists in our newly erupted podcast, this is kind of a call to action to say it, it will enrich your life and your career if you can stay connected with uh, your local academic community. Yes. And you can contribute. If you just graduated six months ago, don't think you need to practice for 10 years to, to contribute to a residency program. Residents need you right now to, to help them get through what struggles you had. You, you just did it. I, I, heck, I trained 20 years ago. I don't know what it's like to be a resident today. Uh, you do. So if you are a young pediatric dentist and you have a, a, an interest in a, uh, you're kind of looking at it, well, hmm, I might like to do that. I might like to volunteer at the, well, do it now. Don't wait. We need you right now. So yeah. call up your program and they'll, they'll be so happy to, to pick up that phone and talk to you. Great message. Thanks for being with us today. I newly erupted, Dr. Boynton. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Are we going viral? Are we, are we viral now? Yeah, we're going to go viral. I, yeah, we're going viral okay. with this one. Guaranteed. Yeah, we're, going, we're going fungal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a step up from viral. Very good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. See you soon. Newly Erupted is brought to you by the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Be sure to check out previous episodes of Newly Erupted, as well as our other podcast platform, Pedo Teeth Talk. All previous episodes are available on our website. Visit our website, aapd.org, for information on education meetings, membership, and more. We'll see you here next week.